on the table, there's an outline as we continue through Judges, Sin, Servitude, and Grace. And uh, we're at the ninth chapter. We're going to talk about Abimelech today. So uh, I confess to you that I never intended to say as much about Abimelech as I'm going to say. Um, but once I got started writing, I couldn't stop. So I'm sorry, bear with me. But I hope you'll find it interesting and helpful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a wonderful day and a wonderful meal. Use it to strengthen us. Thank you for all who are here. Thank you for the sweet fellowship that we are allowed to have around the tables. Thank you for your precious word. And I pray that you would speak to us today from this intriguing, amazing book called Judges. We are advancing forward and look forward to what we're going to learn today about a man called Abimelech. So bless us now, I pray in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen. All right, go to chapter 9 in Judges. We're done with Gideon. We finished with Gideon last Wednesday. And certainly uh, he is one of the more well-known of the judges, and we loved studying about him. So today, Abimelech. So let me say a few introductory words. The story of Abimelech does not make pleasant reading. A lot of that's true in Judges. Uh, But like all the other parts of Scripture, it is in here for our good. In its own unique way, it bears witness to the precision of divine judgment. As we're going to see today, God will make a full end and there will be no unfinished business with him. This text warns us not to test God by choosing evil. It should make us deeply thankful to God that he has mercy on us. And it should rouse us to renewed prayer for those we know or, or, or love who continue to defy him that he may not visit on us or them the terrible retribution that we sometimes or they sometimes deserve. We've gotten used to the cycle. You remember? Gave those out twice, I think. The cycle in Judges always begins with the sin of God's people, which leads then to God bringing oppression on them, which then leads to the people crying and begging for forgiveness and for mercy, which then leads to God raising up a judge to deliver them, and then that leads to deliverance, which then leads to an extended period of peace, often many, many years. So this text, however, is a departure from the cycle. It's a dark episode in Israel's history. Sadly, it's not rare uh, for a good father to have a bad son, is it? I mean, we all know about that, and it happens. We see it in Scripture. Adam had Cain. Uh, Eli had two sons who rebelled against God. Samuel's sons rebelled against God. David had Amnon and Absalom. Hezekiah had a son named Manasseh. And Josiah had a son named Jehoahaz. 
Fathers are sometimes responsible for the bad behavior of their children, but ultimately, ultimately the sons are responsible. Ultimately the sons are responsible for our own actions. So sometimes we are able to say a son is so evil that he is a hellish son, and that fits. Well, it fits today. It fits today because Abimelech is the son from hell. You'll see as we go along. Now, Gideon made some mistakes, didn't he? He was a great leader, but far from perfect. And we read in the latter part of the last chapter that Gideon had multiple wives and 70 sons by those wives. It doesn't list the daughters. You know there were some of them too. The Bible's not being sexist not to list the daughters. It's just relating the way things were at that period in history. The daughters weren't considered to be that significant, at least historically. We certainly disagree with that. But Gideon had 70 sons, but he also had a concubine, a slave girl, who bore him the son from hell. And his name was Abimelech, and the name means, get this now, remember the last chapter if you were here last week, his name means, my father is king. What's wrong with that? Gideon was asked to be king by the people, and he rejected being king. But in irony of ironies, he names his son... My father is king. Interesting. Why would he do that? Was there something in the heart of Gideon that caused him to say, I wish I hadn't said no. I really wish I had said yes, I will be king. What's revealed by this name given to the concubine's son? Well, Gideon does bear some responsibility for Abimelech's lifestyle, but the bottom line is... Abimelech made his own choices just like we all do. And Abimelech made some bad choices. He was from Shechem, not Ophrah, like the rest of the 70 sons and daughters of Gideon. His name probably gave Abimelech the notion growing up that he could make a claim to lead Israel. The story to follow, that we'll begin reading in a moment, is one of unfaithfulness which when people forsake the Lord who saved them. Now, absorb this. We're coming right on the heels of peace brought by Gideon, which was really brought by God and his deliverance of the people, which was nothing short of miraculous. But how how quick they forgot. I'm sure that never happened to you. God blesses and then all of a sudden you find yourself in sin or waywardness. I'm sure it wouldn't happen to anybody in this room. And the people end up worshiping the Baals. And they forget all about what Gideon had done and embrace only the bad. If you look back to chapter 8 verse 
35, the last verse, it says of the people, they also failed to show any loyalty to the family of Jerubel, which we know is Gideon, in spite of all the good things he had done for them. They disrespected his family. How could they do that? Well, they did. Let's think about Shechem for a moment, the city that is home to Abimelech. Shechem was very important in Israel's history. It was the place where God appeared to Abram and told him this land is going to be yours. It was the first place in the promised land to have an altar built at which the people would worship God. And it was the first place that the people gathered to worship after crossing the land, crossing into the land under the leadership of Joshua. It is set at the feet of two mountains that are very important in Israel's history, Gerizim and Ebal. Two very significant mountains. If you read the Old Testament, you're familiar with them. Shechem became the spiritual center and the thermometer of Israel. In other words, Shechem was not a thermostat, but it was a thermometer which reflected the heart of the nation. You've got a thermostat in your house that controls the heat and the air. And you know you set it where you want it in order to make the house warmer or to make the house cooler. But also in that thermostat, there is something that measures the temperature so that it knows when to cut on and when to cut off. And Shechem was a thermometer of the spiritual condition of of Israel. What happens in chapter 9 in Shechem would be like, because of the, the betrayal that happens there, it would be like America reinstating slavery following a gathering of leaders at Gettysburg. Now, the leaders of Judges are called by God, but Abimelech is not. He grabs for leadership. So let's finally get to the text and look at verses 1 through 6, chapter 9. Abimelech, son of Jerubbaal, who is that? Gideon, went to his mother's brothers, so his uncles, in Shechem. And said to them and to all his mother's clan, his mother's the concubine, ask all the citizens of Shechem, which is better for you, to have all 70 of Jeroboam's sons rule over you or just one man? Remember, I am your flesh and blood. When the brothers repeated all this to the citizens of Shechem, they were inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is related to us. They gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baal Bereth. Now, remember, how many, how many brothers does he have? How many sons are there by Gideon and his multiple wives? 70. He gets 70 shekels from the temple of Baal Bereth, which uh, means See, Lord of Lord of the um, I'm trying to think of the word. Where's my Where's my resident Jewish scholar? Will's not here today. I need him. <laughs> the, 
the word of it's of the of the land like the dirt that it's dirt you know lord of the dirt but if you read further in the old testament and you study what some of the ancient rabbis wrote they say that Baal Berith was really the same as Beelzebub. Does that ring a bell? Lord of the flies. Lord of the flies. Now, he got 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baal Berith, and Abimelech used it to hire reckless scoundrels who became his followers. He went to his father's home in Ophrah, and on one stone murdered his 70 brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, Gideon. But it's really 70 less one. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, escaped by hiding. Then all the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo um, gathered beside the great tree at the pillar in Shechem to crown Abimelech king. Okay, are you beginning to get a picture of where we're going? Abimelech wants to be king, and he'll do whatever it takes. He's got ambition, sinful ambition. So he goes to his hometown, appeals to his family and to the city, and he says, choose between me, your flesh and blood, or my 70 half-brothers, sons of my father's wives, who, by the way, are not even related to you. What kind of choice? I mean, he's he's pretty smooth talker. He knows what to say. They quickly choose him. They choose Abimelech. We'll follow you. You be our leader. So they 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 put then they put their money where their mouth is because they gave him seventy pieces of silver, and um, this is bad money. Bad money. It comes from the pagan Baal Berith. Lord of the Flies, one they worship instead of God. What what is Shechem doing with Baal Berith Temple in town? So they've already turned their back on the one true living God. So from that pagan temple, he gets seventy shekels. He brings on some bad guys to help him, and what do they do? They find the seventy brothers. And on one stone, they kill all except one who hid. Now, that one stone simply means instead of the blood being all over the place, they brought every brother to one stone and they killed him. What did they do? Did they cut off their heads? Did they run a dagger through their hearts? Scripture doesn't say, but you can imagine the blood that flowed on that one stone at the death of 69 brothers. So Abimelech is not only getting rid of the competition, but he's delivering a message to Israel. I'm in control and I'm bloody and I'm ruthless and you better not oppose me. And he will show that very clearly as this chapter goes along. So his purpose is evil. He has this blood money, hires these worthless guys. They hurry to Ophrah and they do the dirty deed. Now, Jotham the scripture tells us, is the youngest brother who hides. Jotham. Um, I don't know where he hid. 
I don't know if he could see what was going on, but he hid, and he was the youngest brother, stepbrother of Abimelech, and the youngest son of Gideon. Not surprisingly then, after that dirty deed, Abimelech is crowned king in verse 6, a bloody story of sin and murder. Now, the word Jotham, and Jotham speaks, that's where we're going now, Jotham is going to speak, and his name means Yahweh is perfect or blameless. That's quite a contrast, isn't it? Yahweh is perfect or blameless. I, I, you know, I, I don't know how to, what to do with all this sometimes, but I, I think when I get to heaven, maybe somewhere after I've been there a couple of billion years, I'm going to ask Gideon, you, you named your youngest son Jotham, Yahweh is perfect or blameless, but you named the concubine's son, my father is, is king. Why'd you do that? I mean, I don't know, you know. We're going to be so enamored of God when we get to heaven. Those things that we think we're going to ask, we probably won't even remember to ask them. But I do wonder about that. You see, the godliness of Gideon in naming Jotham. Jotham, what was he thinking when he named Abimelech, Abimelech. So Jotham speaks, and we're going to read what he says in verse 7. Here we go. When Jotham was told about this, he climbed up on the top of Mount Gerizim and shouted to them. Now remember, what city is at the foot of Mount Gerizim? Shechem. Jotham Jotham's brave. He's courageous. He goes up, far enough up Gerizim. He's looking over the town where he can shout and they will hear him. I bet he would have been a great preacher. So he, he climbs up on the top of Mount Gerizim and he shouts, Listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. And he tells a story. One day the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. They said to the olive tree, Be our king. But the olive tree answered, Should I give up my oil by which both gods and humans are honored to hold sway over the trees? Next the tree said to the fig tree, Come and be our king. But the fig tree replied, Should I give up my fruit so good and sweet to hold sway over the trees? Then the tree said to the vine, Come and be our king. But the vine answered, Should I give up my my wine which cheers both gods and humans to hold sway over the trees? Finally all the trees said to the thorn bush, the bramble, Come and be our king. Well, the answer this time is very different. The worthless, pitiful, good-for-nothing thornbush, bramble, says to the trees, If you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. This is Now, in this, um, Jotham is showing the absurdity of the whole story because the Israeli thornbush is not even tall enough to be much above your waist. So nobody's going to get in its shade. But that's the absurdity of the picture that Jotham is presenting to the citizens of, uh, of Shechem. Come and take refuge in my shade. And all the people say, what shade? But if not, then let fire come out of the thorn bush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Now, here's a, a prophetic picture because fire is going to come from Abimelech. He's the thorn bush. And fire is about to come from Abimelech, and it's going to be ugly. You think it's already ugly? Just wait. 
Now, verse 16. Have you acted honorably and in good faith by making Abimelech king? Have you been fair to Jeroboam and his family, Gideon and his family? Have you treated him as he deserves? Remember that my father fought for you and risked his life to rescue you from the hand of the Midian. But today, you have revolted against my father's family. You have murdered his 70 sons on a single stone. And, and, and they may have been standing there saying, well, I, I didn't do that. I, I didn't do that. But you made Abimelech king and you gave him 70 pieces of silver and he hired these bad guys to go in. Yeah, you did it just as if you drew the sword and cut off the head of Gideon's sons. And yet you have made Abimelech, the son of his female slave, king over the citizens of Shechem because he's related to you. So, have you acted honorably and in good faith toward Jeroboam and his family today? If you have, may Abimelech be your joy and may you be his too. But if you have not, let fire come out from Abimelech and consume you, the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come out from you, the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, and consume Abimelech. Verse 21, then Jotham fled, escaping to Beer, and he lived there because he was afraid of his brother Abimelech. Well, he was very courageous, but he knew when it was time to run, and it was now time to run, and he did. Now, there is spiritual warfare in Israel, and this exemplifies it. The force of Abimelech as opposed to God. Who's going to win? Abimelech or Jotham? Well, let's see. Shechem is at the foot of Mount Gerizim. Jotham climbs up, very brave, shouts his message, and then runs. He tells a story that is ridiculous in its nature about their choosing Abimelech to be their king. Olive trees, fig trees, the, the grape vines, which, by the way, are the three that, that at that time and still even today form the basis of Israel's agricultural economy. So they declined to be king, those three plants. But the thorn bush, the bramble, oh yeah, I'll do it. So it's a ridiculous claim. And that is the point Jotham is making. Its point is obvious. Shechem, you have chosen poorly. And they knew in their hearts that that is exactly what they had done. So Jotham flees to safety. Now what's going to happen? Oh, my goodness. We are about to see Abimelech in all of his wicked fury. And by the time this chapter is over, you wouldn't name your dog or cat Abimelech for all the money in the world. <laughs> when was the last time you met a dog named Judas? <laughs> nope. Now, verse 22, we're going to pick up, we're leapfrogging, leapfrogging forward three years. So Abimelech's been ruling. He's got an iron fist. He's in control of the of Israel. And verse 22 is now going to unfold what will be the ultimate undoing of Abimelech, but not before he creates havoc and death and destruction. Verse 22. After Abimelech had governed Israel three years, God, now notice that, God stirred up animosity 
So God injects himself right into this picture. He is responsible for stirring up the animosity because he has a purpose. Don't lose sight of that. So God stirs up animosity between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem so that they acted treacherously against Abimelech. They just made him king three years ago. God did this in order that the crime against Jeroboam's 70 sons, the shedding of their blood, might be avenged on their brother Abimelech and on the citizens of Shechem who had helped him murder his brothers. In opposition to him, these citizens of Shechem set men on the hilltops to ambush and rob everyone who passed by, and this was reported to Abimelech. Now, Gaul, or Gael, I don't really know how that's pronounced. You Bible scholars, is it Gaul or Gael? Gaul? That sounds good to me. All right. Now, Gaul, son of Ebed, moved with his clan into Shechem, and its citizens put their confidence in him. Must have had quite a personality. After they had gone out into the fields and gathered the grapes and trodden them, they held a festival in the temple of their god, and while they were eating and drinking, they cursed Abimelech. Shechem curses Abimelech. Then Gaul, son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech, and why should we Shechemites be subject to him? Isn't he Gideon's son? Is it Jeroboam's son? And isn't Zebul his deputy? Serve the family of Hamor, Shechem's father. Why should we serve Abimelech? If only this people were under my command, then I would get rid of him. I would say to Abimelech, call out your whole army. When Zebul, the governor of the city, heard what Gaul, son of Ebed, said, he was very angry. Undercover, he sent messengers to Abimelech saying, basically, there's rebellion in the town. You better come quick. Gaul, son of Ebed, and his clan have come to Shechem and are stirring up the city against you. Now then, during the night, you and your men should come and lie and wait in the fields. In the morning at sunrise, advance against the city, and when Gaul and his men come out against you, seize the opportunity to attack them. So Abimelech and all his troops set out at night and took up concealed positions near Shechem in four companies. Some military strategy. Now Gaul, son of Ebed, had gone out and was standing at the entrance of the city gate just as Abimelech and his troops came out from their hiding place. When Gaul saw them, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. What's the problem here? He's looking to the east. The sun is in his face. And he sees something. Zebul replies, oh, you mistake the shadows of the mountains for men. But Gaul spoke up again, said, look, people are coming down from the central hill, and a company is coming from the direction of the diviner's tree. Then Zebul said to him, Zebul said, okay, you got it now. I can't lie to you any longer. Where's your big talk now? You who said, who is Abimelech that we should be subject to him? Aren't these the men you ridiculed? Go out and fight them. So Gaul led out the citizens of Shechem and fought Abimelech. Abimelech chased him all the way to the entrance of the gate, and many were killed as they fled. Then Abimelech stayed in Aramah, and Zebul drove Gaul and his clan out of Shechem. Stop there. God spoke through Jotham, and now the words are coming to fruition. 
We first of all see a breakdown of trust in verses 23, 24, and 25. God causes it to happen. He's sovereign. He does not create evil, but he can and did use evil that was already in the hearts of people. And he causes that evil that existed to bring about Abimelech's ultimate demise, which we won't get to today. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. The men of Shechem do evil. They have a lack of trust in the guy that they made king. Now they're in full opposition against him. And the men of Shechem become robbers. Read that a few moments ago. Brigands on the road between Gerizim and Ebal. Maybe they had counted on more prosperity than Abimelech was able to deliver. We don't know. But we know despots are rarely a blessing to their people. So there's all kinds of bad news. And Abimelech hears about them being robbers. And Abimelech, as a despot, wants what? Loyalty, stability, and control. That's what all despots want. Loyalty, stability, and control. So verse 26 comes the betrayal. The people of Shechem are fickle. They change leaders quickly, apparently. Gaul, the son of Ebed, moves in, wins their fellowship. He worships at the same place where Abimelech got his 70 pieces of silver. That's irony. Gaul talks big. Word gets to Abimelech who comes and is urged to set an ambush outside the city. So we're now on the verge of war. And what happens? There's the battle, verse 34 to 41. Abimelech arrives. He divides his men into four companies to maximize surprise, concealing his true strength. Zebul, the previous leader before Gaul, tries to conceal the truth of what Gaul is seeing, looking into the rising sun. Then Zebul taunts Gaul when he can't deceive him any longer. Gaul takes the bait. Be careful of taking the bait when someone taunts you. He took the bait, goes out, and he and his People are routed. He escapes back to the town where Zebul then drives him out. We never hear of Gaul again. That's it. Don't know what he's gone. That's it. Abimelech, however, does something odd. And we'll have to stop with this. Instead of coming on into Shechem, he camps at a nearby village called Arumah. Why? What do you think? Abimelech is furious. Who's he furious at? Shechem. So he camps in another town because he has plans for the next day. And on the next day, he intends to go in and kill everyone, every living thing in Shechem. And that is exactly what he does. So with that pleasant thought in your mind for Thanksgiving, (laughs) we will pick up two weeks from today and we will witness Abimelech, ruthless Abimelech, go into Shechem and some of what he does is unspeakable, but he will do what he came to do and that's destroy them. But as we move through to the end of the chapter, we find that Abimelech, having tasted blood, is bloodthirsty and moves on to Shechem to destroy somebody else. 
And what happens then? Who knows how Abimelech dies? There's no need to keep it a secret for next time. (laughs) You know the story. What happens to him? A girl standing on a tower throws a, a millstone, hits him right in the head. Good riddance. Doesn't kill him. He's about to die. And he says, I don't want a woman getting credit for this. Run your sword through me. And one of his men runs a sword through him. Oh, I shouldn't have given all that away. Okay, next time, verse 42 of the ninth chapter, and we'll move on from there. Father, thank you for your word. I know that there are lots of principles here that we will review next time, uh, things that we can learn that are very, very important to us spiritually. So I pray, Father, that you will bless us as we go from this place. We look forward to the Thanksgiving season. Pray your blessing upon every person in this room and their their families and however they have the opportunity to celebrate the season. Then bring us together two weeks from today as we continue this chapter and move on through the book of Judges. Father, teach us and instruct us from your word. We are a grateful people. We're reminded of thankfulness at this season of the year, but we understand that as believers in Christ, we are every day thankful people. Bless us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next time.